0: It is said that King Abdullah II of the country of Jordan, the country over which he is the monarch, over his kingdom, it is said that King Abdullah II of Jordan often disguises himself as one of his subjects and goes out and mingles among his kingdom. He's disguised himself as an old man visiting the sick in the hospital. He's disguised himself as a taxi driver circles i on. He's disguised himself as a television reporter interviewing the king in disguise. Why? He says, because I want I want the unvarnished truth from my people. (laughs) The unvarnished truth from my people. So he puts on the disguise. This morning I want us to consider another king. Another king who's often disguised. And if we're looking, perhaps we can see the face of this king. This king that I'm talking about is in the New Testament gospel of Matthew, chapter 25. Matthew 25, verses 31 to 46. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn there. It's on page 702 of your church Bibles. You'll also find Matthew 25, 31 up on the screen here. You can follow along in your Bibles or... When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before Him and He will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on His right and the goats on His left. Then the king will say to those on his right, "Come, come here, come here, get over here. You who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty." And you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger. And you invited me in. I needed clothes. And you clothed me. I was sick. And you looked after me. I was in prison. And you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him. Lord, when? When did we see you hungry and feed you? Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger. You did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry? Or thirsty? Or a stranger needing clothes, or sick, or in prison, and did not help you? He will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. This is God's word. What's Jesus got against goats? (laughs) What? I noticed slowly that the crowd was sort of shifting seats from here over there while I was reading, you know, as I turned to the right versus the left. Maybe you knew what I was going to be talking about Sunday and you wanted to position yourselves correctly. What's Jesus got against goats? Goats go to hell. Sheep go to heaven. Goats go to hell. What's up with that? What's wrong with goats? Goats are good. No, they are. I can prove it. Biblically. Oh, yeah. Check this out. In Genesis chapter 32, verses 14 and 15, Jacob gave goats to soothe his brother Esau over. Goats are good. What about in 1 Samuel 1, 25 verse 2, describes a very wealthy man who owned 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. Goats are good. What about in Luke chapter 15, verse 29, the the parable of the lost son? What is it that the older brother says to the father? Dad, this younger son of yours, you know, he comes home after prostituting himself and you've never even given me a... Goat to grill with my friends. Goats are good. They're good. And what what good Judges 13, 15. Goats were special meals for special guests on special occasions. Samson's father. Samson's father prepares what for the angel of the Lord? Not lamb chops. He grills a goat because goats are good. When companies coming over, get the goat out. Goats are good, especially when it's an angel of the Lord. They like goats, huh? And then Judges 15.1. Later on during the wheat harvest, Samson himself, he took a young goat as a present to his wife. He said, I'm going into my wife's room to sleep with her. Oh, how romantic. Huh? Oh, I'm not done. What about in Song of Solomon, chapter 6, verse 5? Solomon's lips drip with romance as he kneels before his beloved and speaks these passionate words. Oh, your hair is like a flock of goats streaming down mountains of Gilead. Gets her every time. (laughs) Goats are good. What's Jesus got with goats? Wolves Yes. Duh The Apostle Paul says in Acts twenty twenty nine, I know that after I leave savage wolves will come in from among you and not spare the flock. Yeah, we get wolves, huh? What about foxes? Yeah, foxes are bad. Jesus says in Luke thirteen thirty two, you go tell Herod that fox I will drive out demons and heal people today and tomorrow and on the third day I will reach my goal. Oh yeah. What about lions? Well, it depends on the context. But in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, lions are bad. Evil. Your enemy, the devil, prowls like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. And hyenas, do I need a verse for that? Is that not self-evident, huh? But goats. What's Jesus got with goats? This must have puzzled the disciples. Really? And here's why. They would look around the countryside. They would see shepherds and flocks and those flocks had mixed herds. And in those herds were sheep and goats. And that's just the way it was, you know? And and goats were good, they kind of kept the herd from overgrazing, and so they would they'd keep the herds moving along, and yeah, they were a little high maintenance, because at night, and especially in the cooler seasons, the goats would need to be separated. The shepherd would separate the sheep from the goats, so that the goats could huddle up and be together, and kind of work through the cooler weather together, because the heart sheep didn't need to be huddled up together, and so forth forth, but, but to the average city slicker, from a distance, they'd look out at that flock and they'd see, they'd see sheep and goats and, and, and they couldn't tell the difference. They couldn't. They would not be able to tell the difference. No, no, not the average city slicker. There those sheep and goats were and they were they're virtually indistinguishable from each other. You not even tell the difference. You put them in a room, you put them in a room, and can't tell the difference. You really couldn't tell the difference. No, no, no. Not to the casual observer. They might come to the same church. They might send their kids to the very same school. They might even vote for the same candidate. That you'd see them together at the same coffee shop. Virtually indistinguishable. Only the shepherd could tell the difference. Only the shepherd knew who's who. And that church family is why it's the sheep and the goats. Because you see, you can't always tell. The true believers from the pretenders. Can you? Can you? Could anybody? Could anybody come up here and say with absolute certainty, someone over here is a, oh yeah, you're a believer. You're a yeah, you're rock solid. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, you're a pretender. Could you say that with absolute certainty about everybody in this room? Could you? Maybe you're here for the first time. And you're looking at the guy in the blue shirt behind the microphone. Can you tell with absolute certainty that the guy holding the mic is a true believer or a pretender? Can you? I don't think so. I don't think so. But I'm telling you, this passage says that there is one who can tell the difference. There is one who can. And Jesus says, in no uncertain terms, in these verses, that a true, bona fide, authentic Disciple of Jesus Christ is one who unselfishly, unself-consciously, sacrificially has expended themselves in meeting the compassionate, physical, tangible needs of those who matter to him, and therefore they have served him. Jesus is saying in these verses that those who are servants of Christ... Those who are true servants of Christ are those who have served Christ himself. Served Christ himself. Jesus is saying that when you serve someone who matters to Christ, when you serve someone who matters to Christ, you have in fact served Christ. That's the difference here. There it is. That kind of reminds me of the parable of the wheat and the weeds in Matthew 13, 30. Let both grow together, Jesus says, until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, and then gather the wheat and bring them into my barn. Bring the sheep in. Bring the sheep, bring the wheat, bring them to me. Why? Because... Because when you have served someone who matters to Christ, you have served Christ. That's what these verses say. You see that? Now, you know, when I read verses like this, I, I, questions come into my mind. And so I just, I had four. Maybe there are questions in your mind as well. And the first question is this. So, is Jesus saying that all I gotta do is feed the poor and that's my ticket into heaven? Huh? Is that, is that what he's saying there? Is, is Jesus saying, will attending the weekend of service, October 17th and 18th, will that get me inside the pearly gates? Huh? Well, it'd be nice if that were the case, wouldn't it? But I'm not authorized to say that. No. But, but you can understand not really think about it for a minute. What if what if someone just picked this verse up, these verses up cold and just started reading them. You can understand how they may come to that conclusion. All I got to do is just, you know, feed poor people and that that earns my way into heaven and 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 so for the sake of that person, you know, I would say let me just come alongside you and let's okay, well, let's just look at these verses here. And if you look at these verses, you'll notice the element of surprise, right? Huh? The element of surprise. In both groups, both were surprised. You know, when did we see you hungry? When? You see, let's not come to any false conclusions about here I'm, you know, living life, uh, thinking that uh, my eternal destination is one particular place and then due to some arbitrary legality, you know, I find out some get in and some don't. You know, it's like, what? Bait and switch kind of thing. What, what? Let's not come to some erroneous conclusion by reading it that way. You see, there's an element of surprise. The, the surprise is not the destination. The surprise is the reason. The reason. When did we see you hungry? See, the righteous ones, Just they. they had, the left hand truly did not know what the right hand was doing. They didn't connect their service to the poor as as unto Jesus himself. And see, this passage offers a test that is absolutely foolproof against hypocrisy. Because you see, if they would have thought that serving the poor got them into the pearly gates, then they wouldn't have said, when did we see you hungry? They wouldn't have said that. Jesus would have said, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. And they would have said, yeah, we know. See, but they didn't say that, did they? They didn't. When? We don't get it, huh? We don't get it. So it's it's, the point. It's foolproof. Foolproof against hypocrisy. The point is that by virtue of what they are they naturally do these these sheep these righteous ones they care for the poor as naturally as sheep grow wool, and sheep do not have to work at growing wool they grow wool because they're sheep that's just what sheep do and these Righteous ones cared for the poor just just as naturally and unselfconsciously. Sheep don't have to think about growing wool. They just do. They just do. And that's the point, see. They don't do this to get saved. (laughs) They did this because they already are saved. And this is just what saved people do. Church, I've seen you all in action on this. I've seen you all in action on this. I just saw it last month. We asked for 400 backpacks. Todd Daly came up here and said, don't pray about it, just go get them. (laughs) Yeah, amen. You know what? And you brought over 500, see? Unselfconsciously, sacrificially. Three years ago, three years ago, we were concluding a series over Jonah, and we were talking about service and outreach. And we had done some service and outreach for Salt and Light and for Restoration Urban Ministries. And you did not know what I was going to say during the offering three years ago. But I stood up and I said to you all, this was after we had gone to their places and served, I stood up and I said that every penny in the offering would go, we're going to split it in half, half to Salt and Light, half to Restoration. And, And what was significant is that Back then, the average weekly offering was, a, was about $19,000, and you all gave over $30,000 that weekend. You see, and you didn't know ahead of time what was going to happen. The elders did, okay, but you didn't. And I remember some of you went home to get your checkbooks and come back. Why did you do that? Because that's just what sheep do, unselfconsciously sacrificially meet needs with love. So so attending the weekend of service won't get you in the pearly gates. Jesus will. All right. Question number two. Who are the least of these? Who are the least of these? Well, we know that they're the thirsty and the hungry and strangers and in prison, but who are they? Jesus tells us who they are in verse 40. Whatever you've done for one of the least of these brothers of mine. And implicitly that means brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters of mine. So yes, yes, specifically Jesus is talking. How are we going to treat one another in the family of God? How are we going to do that? And we would be limiting ourselves if we came to the conclusion that we only give compassion to those within the family of God. I mean... When you go over to Salt and Light, Nathan Montgomery, he doesn't card people. Show me your baptismal certificate. Come on, let me see your church membership. He doesn't do that, huh? Okay, okay, well, if you're a Christian, you get whole wheat bread, but everybody else gets bleached white bread. No, 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 no. Does not Galatians 6.10 say, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. Especially those who belong to the family of believers. Yeah. So, so I, I like how John Piper, he's a pastor and author, he put it this way. We show mercy to some people because they are Christians. We show mercy to some people because they are not Christians. We show mercy to Christians because we see Christ in them. And we show mercy to unbelievers because we want to see Christ in them. We help suffering believers because they bear the name of Christ. And we help suffering unbelievers in the hope that they will come to bear the name of Christ. And and you see, we do this to the least of these. To the least of these. You see, had they known it was the king, they would have behaved way differently. Because kings we treat nicely. It's the little people we ignore. The least of these. But Jesus makes it quite clear. When you you do this, to the least of these, you are expressing the unvarnished truth about what you feel about me. Because when when you have ministered to those who matter, to me, Jesus says you've ministered to me. That's question two. Question three. Question three is this. What possible difference can I make? There's so much need, so much evil, so much disorder in this world. What possible difference can I make? Uh, uh, We are, Lord willing, planning on spending $20,000 over the eight sites on October 17th and 18th. But What's $20,000 when the need is so great? What is that? It's kind of like the five loaves and two fish. what, what What is this among so many? What is it? But Jesus, through these verses, assure us that behind the visible, chaotic world, behind a world that you can't get nations to the table, the United Nations can't get nations to the table. They can't. And once they get them to the table, they should say, well, we're going to talk about this, but we're not going to talk about that, et cetera, et cetera. Jesus assures us that in a seen, visible world that is disordered and chaotic and full of evil, behind that world is an unseen world. And he assures us it is very ordered and it is very much under his control because he is, Is the king. See, they're going to mock him as the king of the Jews. And Jesus makes it very clear in these verses I'm not just the king of the Jews, I am Lord of the nations. And all of the angels belong to me. And when I take my seat on that glorious throne on that day, with all of my angels with me, when I summon the nations, they'll come. They will come. And you know, these verses, I mean, look at 26.2. 26.2, you know, after Jesus finished saying all these things he said to his disciples, as you know, the Passover is two days away, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. So he's two days from hanging on a cross. (laughs) It looks like Jesus' life is in their hands. But through these verses, Jesus makes it absolutely clear his life is not in their hands their life is in his hands. He's the judge. Speaking of that, that's question four. Why is Jesus so judgmental? Really? The judge? They will go away to eternal punishment, to the righteous to eternal life? Huh? What? I mean, this, isn't this why people reject Christianity? The God of Christianity is so judgmental and condemning. Well, Couple of things on that. First of all, what does the text say? The text says that Jesus prepared the eternal fire. The eternal fire, listen, the eternal fire has not been prepared for sheep or goats. Has it? What's it been prepared for? The devil and his angels. So those who enter the eternal fire do so of their own will, you see. That's why Lewis said that that hell, C. S. Lewis said that hell. Is a door that's locked from the inside. Furthermore, what makes you think that you know? Okay, sheep go to heaven, goats go to hell. What makes you think a goat would be happy in heaven anyway? Huh? I mean, they've spent their entire life. I mean, I mean, self-absorbed, self-conscious, taking care of themselves. What makes you think that they would want to spend all eternity in an environment that is rich in? Selflessness and unself-consciousness and sacrificial service. What? And on top of that, since we looked at Matthew 26-2, Jesus is two days from the cross. Which means he's going to be the one who's going to be thirsty. And he's going to be the one who's going to be naked. And he's going to be the one who's alone and sick on the cross for us so that we can receive the kingdom that has been prepared for us by grace through faith in him you see your destiny is to receive the kingdom that christ has prepared but we have to do it on his terms i can't say Stephen janice i want to live in your house but i got to do it on my terms really really is that how it works <laughs> If it wouldn't work with the shipleys, what makes you think it's going to work with God? It's a kingdom that he has prepared for us. And and you see, every other kingdom grows on the backs of the subjects who expend themselves to grow the king's empire. But not this one. This kingdom is affirmed and this kingdom stands on the back of the king. Who expends himself for his subjects by grace through faith. And so, and so on the day that we meet Jesus, on that day, Matthew 25, Jesus assures us, he assures us that when we finally see him in glory, it will not have been for the first time. It won't. These verses inform us that Jesus has met everybody before. Everybody. And so it's just not going to do for us to stay in this comfortable, climate-controlled room and sing songs. It's not going to do. If we want to see his face. Listen, servants who have been redeemed by Christ, they, they just naturally meet the needs of those who matter to Christ. So now what? Well, go serve, and don't wait till October 17th and 18th. Today, go serve someone. Go serve someone. Jim Simbala pastors a church in downtown New York City called Brooklyn Tabernacle. And uh, he had gathered some pastors with him for dinner. And they were just talking, talking about the church where he serves and talking about Christianity in America. Jim Simbala asked this question among the pastors. Simbala said, Pastors, just what is the number one sin of the church in America today? What's the number one sin of the church in America today? And they talked about what that might be. Simbala cut him off. He said, The number one sin of the church in America Day. It's not internet pornography. It's not divorce, even though the rate of divorce inside Christianity in America is about the same as outside Christianity in America. But that's not the number one sin of the church in America. He said the number one sin of the church in America is that its pastors and leaders are not on their knees crying out to God. God, bring us the drug addicted, bring us the prostitutes, bring us the destitute, bring us the gang leaders, bring us those with AIDS, bring us the people nobody else wants. God, bring us the people nobody else wants, whom only you can heal, and tell us to love them in your name until they are whole. Are we willing to pray that prayer? Are we? God, send us those nobody else wants. That's why we're doing weekend of service, church family. And that's why, if you look in your bulletin, we are God-, God willing, we're gonna launch a ministry initiative called Celebrate Recovery, where we can help meet needs with love to those with, with habits and hang ups and hurts. Will we be that church? Will we? Could we be a church filled with gang leaders and those with A's and the people nobody else would wants, the drug addicted? Couldn't we? I guarantee you this, that if we do, some will leave because they think, well, it's just gotten too different. And shame on them. Jesus has spoken. And he says, when you meet the needs of those who matter to me, You've served me. So, church family, serving.